I'm Greg Brownderville. This is Firebones. Today on Arts and Letters, we'll be talking with writer Greg Brownderville about his multimedia production, Firebones. Well, I grew up in a country Pentecostal church, and we like to sing this song that went, It's the Holy Ghost and Fire, and it's shut up in my bones, which is based on a Bible verse. And that idea of the fire shut up in your bones is something I've always been interested in. I feel you like a ghost before the rain. Greg Brownerville, Firebones, the first ever go show on arts and letters. From the studios of KUAR in Little Rock, I'm Jay Bradley Minnick, and welcome to Arts and Letters, a program providing opportunities for the celebration of the arts and humanities. Today, we'll be talking with writer Greg Brownerville about his multimedia go-show project, Firebones, filled with podcasts. When you grow up in the Delta, as I did, you're used to seeing crop dusters. Springtime, summertime, just turn your eyes heavenward and there they are. Film. I'm afraid we shall never see our beloved Earth again. I'll have to set this baby down on the secret planet of Swan. Poetry. Whenever I see a worship finger twitching, in the spirit, I remember a choir and December fire shut up in my bones. And song. When I would come to a place in writing a poem where I would have an idea, but I would feel that my medium, words, were not ideal for communicating or expressing this certain thing or evoking whatever it was I had in my mind to evoke, I would think, what if you could just switch to that other medium? Like, what if you could just switch to the other art form in the moment when that other art form would be optimal? And there are times that I would want to switch to music or just a still photo or a piece of visual art. That was the core idea of this thing. Snap apple time is coming around, they say. I guess I'll go to town and do my sick bed serenades. At the heart of Firebones is a mystery, that of a ferry pilot from the Arkansas Delta who goes missing. It was mid-September in Thisaway, Arkansas, a tiny delta town not far from where I grew up. Ferocious morning sun, a hot dusty breeze, and Amra Bustani, a Lebanese-American pilot in her early 40s, strapped her helmet on and climbed into a crop duster-style plane alone. It was a model called the Dark Angel and the pilot proceeded to fly this little midnight-colored aircraft across the Atlantic Ocean, over Europe, into the Middle East. And she's been missing ever since. So in the story in Firebones, the United Arab Emirates has purchased a missile firing crop duster style plane from an American manufacturer out of Memphis, Tennessee. And Amra Bustani has been hired to ferry fly the plane over the Atlantic into the Middle East to deliver it to the UAE. And 
on this flight, she disappears. My name is Greg Brownerville. This is Firebones, the world's first ever go show. So let's go on a go show as we travel to the Arkansas Delta with Greg Brownerville and find the fire and uncover the bones in Firebones on Arts and Letters. All right, let us do this, you and I. Go and do against the sky. Greg Brownerville, poet extraordinaire, the progenitor of the first ever go show. <laughs> Firebones. Welcome to Arts and Letters. Glad to be here. So here's my first question to you. Where is the fire and what are the bones? Well, I grew up in a country Pentecostal church, and we like to sing this song that went, it's the Holy Ghost and fire, and it's shut up in my bones, which is based on a Bible verse. And that idea of the fire shut up in your bones is something I've always been interested in, and it stuck with me from childhood. And since we have this Pentecostal preacher woman, Amr Bustani, at the heart of the firebone story, and you've got the idea of passion and obsession, deep preoccupations that drive people. I thought, well, this is a, an image that applies to a lot of what's going on in the story. I'm one smithereen, blown clear out of focus. I'm floating alone. I'm lost in your land. So much golden. Just color and tone. Don't think of me now or my sins. So you could say the bones are the people, the town, and you could say the fire is anything that animates them or drives them. And in this case, it's partly religion, it's partly love, it's partly old bitternesses and angers that are still alive in the in the town and dividing people. So it's a lot of things that drive people in this story and anything that does drive people could be considered the fire. I caught a moon, from Canaan. I caused you pain, I know I do. I'm far away, too gone for saving out here. Would you maybe talk a little bit about the process of, of making this? Because I would say it's artifactual. Mm-hmm. There's video, podcast, poetry, song. There's written artifacts that come up, which I think are just amazing. Would you talk a little bit about the idea for this? Because it is the first ever Go Show. I'd never, I'd never heard that. And then... Your process as a, a poet creating a narrative that's informed by artifacts. I'm primarily a words person. I mean, wor- words are my favorite materials to work with, and they can do anything almost. You can evoke almost anything with language. But sometimes I would be working on a poem and I would think, man, I have an image in mind right here, and it would be so much better as a photograph or a piece of video than as a description because it's going to be tedious to describe this in a way that a large audience can understand. So here's an example that shows up in Firebones. All my life I've noticed out in the countryside you would see these things called Georgia buggies. We had them on the farm that I grew up on as a kid, it's these grain buggies, and Often they're yellow and they start rusting and they have these rust spots on them. They have this long kind of arm that shoots up off the buggy and then there's a little auger on the end of it that dispenses grain. And in my mind, when I was a child, these looked like giraffes, particularly when they had the right color scheme with their little rust spots. 
like the spots on a giraffe. But the problem is not that many people know what a Georgia buggy is in the first place. They may have seen them driving across the country, but they wouldn't know the term. So I'd have to describe that, I'd have to put that in place in the reader's imagination. Then bring in the giraffe. And by the time you've done that, I mean, it's so slow and tedious. It's just, it's barely worth doing, and, and especially in a poem that's moving fast. So even though I had that image in my mind for years, I never used it in a poem. When I was doing Firebones, I thought this is gonna work beautifully as a video. Because all I have to do is put the Georgia buggy on the screen, have a little kid with a giraffe hat on playing around on it, like he he's thinking of the Georgia buggy as the like daddy giraffe, and he's the <laughs> you know the the baby giraffe, <laughs> and everybody gets it because it's visual. I feel like the night is running a fever, zooming on the In addition to being a pilot. Amra Bustani was a talented preacher and the pastor of a local Pentecostal church called the Firebones Tabernacle. Those who love Amra are still grappling with grief. Those who are trying to solve the mystery of her disappearance face a confounding forensic challenge. I call the Tell a story, and at every point along the way, ask yourself which medium would do the very best job of expressing this thing, this part, telling this part of the story. And, it, and then you use that, and then you go to the next part, and you ask yourself the same question. You, so in the making of Firebones, we would sometimes do a scene two or three different ways, maybe as a podcast, as a song, as a film, piece of film and just choose the one that worked the best. Sometimes I would have a strong intuition as to which medium would work the best. So that's one part of this picture. The other thing that was happening is I thought I was writing a poetry book, completely independent of this other thing. And I was doing a bunch of unusual things in that book, like I was uh, writing like bathroom graffiti poems where I would just take pictures of bathroom graffiti and then print them out cut out little pieces of the language and then assemble them in certain ways to make poems. That's an example of one thing I was doing, using absurdist cheerleader slogans. Y'all, we should tell them about our cheer. Overfeed the squirrels. Videotape the elf. Uh, fortune cookie fortunes. Yeah, I was doing all these weird things in this book and it didn't really feel to me like it was hanging together as a book by one person. It didn't feel like a, a, a bunch of poems by the same poet. It felt more like an anthology. So I thought, well, why don't I just fictionalize the poets, like create fictional characters who are doing these poems and do something with, along those lines. And then maybe all these poets know each other or interact in some way. And you have sort of a narrative about how they know each other or how they're interacting and you have the poems. And then that merged with the ghost show idea and that you pretty much get firebones. Because if you think about it, there are a lot of artists in firebones doing like experimental art in their own kind of weird, out in the middle of nowhere country way. And so the idea of all these weird poets and artists and the idea of the Go Show came together to make firebones. This is Arts and Letters. We're talking with poet Greg Brownerville about his multimedia Go Show. Firebones. We'll be back in a moment. In the custody of stars. I'm Jay Bradley Menick, and you're listening to Arts and Letters. Let's resume our conversation with poet Greg Browneville about his multimedia project, Firebones. Back in the Delta, rumors swirl about horrible things that might have happened to Amra. Rising suspicion as to how and why she vanished and who is to blame has led to anger, hurt feelings, 
and paranoid accusations, not to mention scrutiny from the outside. All this has changed an American town called Thisaway, perhaps indelibly. Yeah, I see it now, the way you, you explained it. You were kind of trying to create this nonlinear book of poetry, but you realized that different media would make the message better yeah. than just the poem. Exactly. And I've always liked those adventure journey stories like Huck Finn, you know, or Homer's Odyssey, where you just have somebody traveling. You floated down in the cool. The 41-year-old woman has vanished, literally, into thin air, leaving a small delta town heartbroken and bewildered. encountering crazy characters along the way and interacting with them. I keep thinking I'm in some scary theater and the lights are fixing to come back on any second now and then I'll be able to get up and walk out of this story back into a world where my old friend Amma's right down the road strapping on her pilot's helmet or <laughs> cracking open her Bible. I've been knowing Amma's we was five-year-old. It's hard not to cling to the chance that somehow, somewhere, she's alive and okay. That's Patty Sue Frymeyer speaking at Amra's memorial service nine months after her disappearance. Inside your face now is a blur for my feelings. Thursday, September 13, 2018, Amra parked the plane in Amman, Jordan, powered down the electronic systems, and messaged SkyTractor to let them know that per company policy and the conventions of the Islamic business world, she was just going to hang out in Jordan till Sunday morning and deliver the plane then. But when Sunday rolled around, Amra Bustani and the plane known as the Dark Angel had both vanished. She gets into the Middle East during a time of the week when she can't when you can't do business transactions because it's during the holy days. And so she has to just park the plane in Jordan and wait it out a few days until the holy days are concluded and then she's gonna deliver the plane. She communicates with the manufacturer when she gets to Jordan. Everything seems fine. She's just going to park there, hang out in Jordan for a couple of days, and then deliver the plane. But when the day rolls around for her to deliver the plane, there's no sign of her. There's no sign of the plane. Both she and the plane have vanished. And everybody back in the Delta who knows her and loves her, her church, her friends, they are just left wondering, what the heck happened? Y'all know the basic story. Amber started preaching when she was a tiny, shiny little schoolgirl. And once she hit her teenage years, she got out of ministry and got obsessed with flying. From there, for several years, she lived in the air. And obviously, she never stopped flying. But in 1999, when she turned 22, she took to preaching again. So you got to figure something must have happened. Right around there in her early 20s, something wooed her back to the pulpit. Some kind of feeling tugged on her heart and said, Amra, it's time. You can't ignore your calling. <laughs> well, I can tell you flat out, that moment did happen. And I just happened to be there to witness it. This is Arts and Letters. We're listening to Greg Brownerville talk about his multimedia project, Firebones. Let's return to the tiny town of Thisaway as Patty Sue Frymeyer reads her poem, Morning Song with Rattles. Morning Song with Rattles by Patty Sue Frymeyer. When I see a new mother in her shriveled bundle of baby, I remember you, your face glowing on the dirty church floor. When I see an old woman singing with her white braid swinging, 
I remember. You, your woven hair, home in the dark sticks. It hurts. Hurts to know you will not grow old. But teach me how. Whenever I see a worship finger twitching in the spirit, I remember a choir and December fire shut up in my bones. Baby, rattle, brave, rattle, Maggie, rattle, oh. What do I do with you now? Morning Song with Rattles is written by the character Patty Sue Frymeyer, and she wrote it in her notebook by hand. And what you're looking at in the fictional world of Firebones is a page in her notebook where she wrote this poem. So we thought it would add intimacy to the experience for the viewer. Like you're actually looking at Patty Sue's notebook and you're hearing Patty Sue Frymeyer say the poem and you're seeing her handwriting. So it's a way of getting into her interior life and really feeling the impact on her of of Amra's disappearance and just the impact that Amra made on her life before she disappeared, how important Amra is to her. You know, you get the sense that she may have been in love with Amra. That's the sense I get from the poem and from some of the other things she says. But definitely, if not a romantic attachment, a deep emotional attachment. A heart can be broken like a record A heart can skip like a broken record, a broken record, and play anyway, play, play it anyway, play, play it anyway, play, play it anyway, play, play it anyway. So help us with the Lebanese culture in the Delta and how they intersect. So Maronite Christianity is one kind of Christianity that you see in Lebanon, and a lot of Lebanese Americans in the Delta are Maronite Christians. This is a kind of Catholicism, but it's the Eastern Rite Catholicism. It's not the Vatican. It's not overseen by the Vatican. And it's a very old version of Christianity. I mean, after all, Christianity starts in the Middle East, and there's a folk dimension to Christianity in Lebanon. For example, this character named Hindia, who is kind of a folk hero. She was from Aleppo and winds up setting up her Christian practice in the mountains of Lebanon. Yeah, and she's kind of this mystic Mm -hmm. who believes she was the, I guess, the girlfriend of Christ, am I right? Yeah. And so she's this spiritual guide, but they don't know whatever happened to her and if she still exists as a kind of spirit. Some people in Lebanon think that, you know, her spirit will come back or she never left, that sort of thing. She's almost a folkloric presence or a mythological presence in in Lebanon, in especially the rural Lebanese imagination. And that kind of mysticism reminds me of the kinds of stories I heard growing up in a Pentecostal church in in the country, in the Delta. Who's got the platter? Baby, get the dagger. I got the laughter. Let us be young. We're bringing the mayhem. Well into the AM, amen. Sing it to the layman. Let's talk about the music and, and you know, poetry is song mm-hmm. and it's heart. Yep. And you've always been cross-sectional with these two things. You've never wholly separated them as academic poetry and song. And I know you've written a whole album worth of songs for this. Yeah, we're going to put out a Firebones record with all these songs on it. So help me with the song that introduces each of the podcasts. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so this is a whole story unto itself that's fascinating, but my first teaching job right out of grad school was in Missouri, and I knew this guy who was like a kind of one of these amateur historians around town, you know, in the town I was living in in Missouri, and he knew a lot about Missouri history, and he got to know me, and he said, Greg, I really think you should go over to St. Gen, St. Genevieve, Missouri. I think you would just love that town. So I did. I planned a weekend, went to St. Gen. This is a French colonial town on the Mississippi River in, I guess you would say, in the southeast quadrant of Missouri. It's about an hour and a half south of St. Louis along the Mississippi River. And I, at the time, was fascinated. I had been reading about mumming plays and mummery in Britain. These are these folk plays that are done often around Christmas time in the UK and Ireland. And I had heard that mumming plays had been performed in in the U.S. And there's something about St. Jen that made me think, I bet there's something like that in St. Jen. I just had it. it was, it's so weird. Like, I just had this intuition. Like, I felt something in that town. I just thought it might have happened to you. So I asked a very old man in a restaurant one night. We were actually standing in line. There was a line to the men's restroom, and I found myself standing behind this guy who looked like he was about 85 years old. And I thought, well, he would know, you know, if he's been around here a long time and if he's been here his whole life. And I didn't know the guy, so maybe he hadn't been, but it turns out I was right. And I described a mumming place to him and asked him whether anything like that happened in St. Jen. And he said, no, but there is something called Lagione that sounds a little bit like what you're describing. And it turns out that it's almost like a music and dancing version of the mumming place. I mean, what happens is every year on New Year's Eve in St. Genevieve, Missouri, and also in Prairie to Rocher, Illinois, by the way, right across the river, this group of folks dress up in historical outfits and just costumes of various kinds to represent figures of Christmas, like Santa Claus, but also personages of historical importance in French colonial Missouri. So you have, you know, a pioneer trapper person, and sometimes they've had local politicians or Native Americans or, you know, just various figures from French colonial history. And there's like a local woman who sews these outfits, and they put on these outfits, these costumes, and they go from pub to pub to private home to VFW and perform this song in French that is a beggar song. And everyone gives them drinks, sometimes food, summer sausage and cheese or something like that. But drinks for sure. And they just get drunker and drunker as the night goes on. And it's a beautiful thing. This is as much a part of New Year's Eve in St. Jen as trick-or-treating is a part of Halloween in most towns. They've been doing it for so long, it's just a part of the New Year's holiday. So I went to St. Jen when it was happening after that old man told me about it. Loved it. Knew I wanted to write something about it. It's, it's a kind of carnival celebration. You can think of it as that. <laughs> if it ain't a good old Jericho march. Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. <laughs> oh, girl, you're singing straight to my soul now. I just might get the whole cat. And so this comes into the Go Show because there's a character in the Go Show named Today Montgomery who grew up in St. Jen and then moved to the Delta. And when the people of the town are at each other's throats and there are all sorts of enmities and all sorts of strife in the town and the town seems to be falling apart today montgomery thinks you know what we could use lagione a night where we dance and sing together and become playful again together and laugh about identity and try on different selves and put ourselves in each other's shoes and you know just laugh and play and clown he thinks that would not solve the town's problems but maybe open up some space in which they could start to talk to each other again. It's so good to see y'all. Because there's so many people mad at each other in this town. So since Lagione is going to be so important in the story, I thought, if I can get permission, let me use this 1956 recording 
of the Lagione song from St. Genevieve, Missouri. And I talked to the family that had rights to it, and they said, man, knock yourself out. Please, use it. So we used it, and that's that's what you're hearing when the podcast comes on. This is Arts and Letters. We're talking with poet Greg Brownerville about his multimedia go show. Firebones. We'll be back in a moment. This is Arts and Letters. We're listening to poet and multimedia artist Greg Brownerville talk about his first ever go show, Firebones. Talk about Bart Weiss for a minute. So to me, his character, and he's a real person, and he's a professor and a filmmaker, but his character in this is kind of every man, isn't he? And he's the one who is along for the ride. I really feel like I could use another adventure, something completely different than everything that I know and everything I experience. You know, I've seen a lot. But there's got to be something different out there for me to experience. This story's a great art confuses God. And in the same way, he's trying to figure things out himself. But we begin to understand things about this world, which is mystical and strange and otherworldly through his reactions. Let's listen to an interview that Greg Brown Deville conducted with Bart Weiss about the making of the multimedia project, Firebones. All right, Bart, good to be talking with you here about Firebones, a project we poured heart and soul and imagination into for some several years. I would say imagination first, heart second, and soul third. <laughs> what I'm wondering is, what your impressions of the Delta were, what you learned on those trips, and how that affected the way you handled your role from from there on out on the project. Well, it was really important, but you have to realize that, you know, before that, I've been hearing stories of yours, reading the stories, but also hearing you talk about them. So, so whenever that happens, of course, we have mental images in our head of what the world is like. First of all, just seeing the water and what that meant and what the land looks like. You know, to, to tell a story, you have to know the world mm-hmm. that everything lives in. And and that's that's the world that you lived in. And it was important for me. If, if we had not done that trip, I, I don't think I would have had the sense of timing and the feel of what that place is like. One coal of fire, my yeah, I think Bart is always just trying to get a some kind of fix on this world and just kind of get a toehold. He's riding around with you in the car after this 65th birthday that he has, which is an interesting moment in a man's life because you would imagine that kind of signifies a kind of retirement. And so he has this birthday where he orders this really cool ice cream and it never shows up and he's completely bummed about it. Is there any ice cream left? (sighs) There was never any ice cream. What? Why not? Snowbiz called me half an hour before we started. Their machine broke. I don't have any ice cream to offer you. Have you tried Snowbiz before? Yep, it's pretty good as I recall. Best in town. Man, they got some pretty intense butterfat content. I just love that texture. Have you ever had that flavor they call mame? Yeah, I love that flavor. I'd never even heard of it until I moved to Texas. I'm not so sure everybody had a great time tonight. People were probably texting each other right now, deciding where to go next. 
And then you say, hey, I'm, I'm going to investigate this town. Uh, would you like to come? I've been away from the Delta where I grew up for a long time. And I'm just feeling the need to dig back down to those old roots. Going home tomorrow, actually. I really want to reconnect with some of those old storytellers who sparked my imagination back when I was a boy. So this fall, I've made up my mind. I'm going to spend a lot of time back home. Also, I want to get some Delta ice cream to make up for this snowbiz travesty. <laughs> well, you know, I'm lucky to have a Tuesday-Thursday schedule, so that means Thursday evening we could take off and I don't have to be back in the classroom until Tuesday morning. Man, I would love for you to come along because I've always just relied on memory when I go talk to people. I just sit and talk to them and then I remember what I remember and then draw on that in my writing, but... If you came along, we could really document some of this stuff. All I want to do is see behind this slowly closing eyelid And along the way, I just, I found it funny. Like for him, he says, hey, I saw this poster, Nina Jean for Possum Queen. Again, let's listen to Greg Brownerville's interview with Bart Weiss. But I think there was something else that I remember from those early trips of sort of driving around. And this is, I think, the, the sort of visual look of the film, that there are these handwritten signs, the, the sort of homemade quality of life, which is you know, not an environment that I grew up. I grew up in a city. There, there were no handwritten signs any place. And the Greg Brownerville character's like, uh, you ain't seen nothing. <laughs> you haven't seen a thing. In my That's, boyhood, you know, there really was a um, sign up in Pumpkin Bend, Arkansas, where I grew up, that said Nina Jean for Possum Queen. <laughs> yeah. And then it just gets mm-hmm. very weird, right? They go to this regional welcome center, and it's a silo. It's a right? grain silo, yeah. And they get inside and... But they're beamed to this planet called Swan. I'm afraid we shall never see our beloved Earth again. I'll have to set this baby down on the secret planet of Swan. When we show up in the Delta, the regional welcome center is presided over by a character named the Beekeeper Spaceman. Swan? Yes, it boasts a large snowy white landmass in the shape of a swan. Oh, yes, we will live out the remainder of our lives here on the planet Swan. And just to paint the picture, he's wearing this spaceman costume, but it looks like a beekeeper's spaceman costume. And he's kind of this throwback to the 60s guy, (laughs) right? He's like a hippie in a beekeeper costume, but he's a spaceman. There are beekeeper outfits that look very much like spacesuits. And so, you know, you think of a beekeeper as being a person of the earth, of the soil, you know, like the natural world. But an astronaut is a person not of this world, far from the earth, up there in the mysterious ether somewhere. And that emblematizes something about the paradox of the Delta, which is very earthy, but is also kind of spacey and out there and, you know, like la-la land, just kind of weird. Scary. Beautiful. Prepare for landing. Fifty-four hundred feet. Descent is stable. Trajectory is smooth. I'm sorry about your wives and your sons and your daughters, your mayors and your barbers. Y'all will miss them. I'm sure they'll miss y'all. Retro rockets. We have dust and we have touchdown. One thing I've noticed about the Delta and people from the Delta is that it's one of those places that is weird even to the locals. Like when you talk to people from the Delta, they're sort of in awe of its weirdness, too. It makes me think of the literary critic Harold Bloom says that great literature should make you feel strange at home. You're at home, but it's still strange. Gentlemen, welcome to Swan. 
It's awfully lonely here on Swan. It's majestic. It's very... Strangerous here on Swan. We cannot not talk about Bulos. I love the perspective of the little boy. Nedrick Javier. And we run full circle a little, and this is this little boy in Lebanon who fancies himself a news reporter, has the ability with social media to have these theoretical uh, attempts to understand what happened. The other day, Greg and I got a rather fascinating email from a little boy in Lebanon. His name is Bulos. And through this Go Show, he's been keeping up with our adventures here in the Delta. Not only that, he recently started a YouTube channel, partly in response to Firebones. Bulos has a clue that might help us solve the mystery of Amr's disappearance. What you're about to see is the very first episode of the Bulos Breakdown. I love how you did it with puppetry, pictures, he does a, a facsimile of a news report. <laughs> You're watching the Bulu's Breakdown. He is like the most brilliant kid that I've ever seen in my life, and yet wholly convincing. And he summarizes the story extremely well. You use that as a, a way to kind of bring us in and out so we have a sense of what's happened. It was a little after 6 o'clock in the morning of September 14, 2018. Just starting to get light. I was out walking my puppy when we wandered into this sleepy street between thickets of trees. No houses, no businesses. And then... I see a crazy-looking, dark blue aircraft roar right in out of the yonder and land on the street. It swooshed right past me like a car. My pup goes into panic. Would you talk about the actor and this character and his crazy reports, his theoretical understanding of what's going on and his passion for being a news reporter and finding out the truth? Yeah, and this was another one. When Nedrick Javier came into auditions, he was off book, meaning he had memorized the whole thing that we had given him, the script, the side. And he just came in and delivered it flawlessly and so compellingly, I thought, yep, don't need to see any other auditions. There were missiles on the side of the aircraft and all I could think was, oh my God, I hope and pray our country not to be at war. All that next week, ask everybody, did you see it? What was that? Blue thing that zoomed to our lives. Ladies and gentlemen, that is today's big subject. He was amazing. In fact, Bart suggested, he was like, Greg, let's, during principal photography, let's start with Bulos. The first stuff we did on the shoot was in Christian's apartment, and we're shooting uh, Bulos breakdown. And But I think one of the things that really made the whole shoot go, go so well is it was such a bizarre event. We have these these um, props that are on popsicle sticks that come in and out of the frame that are very surreal and very beautiful. And we have these gloves that are going on. And our actor for this was just just magnificent, uh, just really. So everybody on the crew, when the first popsicle sticks went in, you could feel that the room changed that everybody knew this was not going to be like all the other stuff that they do, and there was going to be something really unique here. And I, I think that really sort of helped us get the right ethos for everybody, which was so important. You're watching The Bulu's Breakdown. We're asking this young kid, you know, to set the tone for all of principal photography because we knew well, we could count I, it on It seems him. like the kid in some ways steals the show. He 
killed it. Oh, he was so good. These two guys, filmmaker Bart Weiss and poet Greg Brandeville, are in Amra Bustani's hometown in the United States, getting a local look at her weird disappearing act. Her town, a place they call Tisaway, and my town, Al Kuwayat, are both small. In places like that, you always get the gossip. I and mean, it was actually hard to decide which take to use because every take was so good. I'm 100% sure that the woman I saw was Amra Bustani. It wasn't a ghost. It wasn't a god. It wasn't a magical infestation of Indialu Jaimi. Repeat after me, okay? It was Amra. I'm glad you glad to bloom You call for him, huh? I wake up my life. You feast, I fast. You're first, I'm last, alright. Just let me in your square of it tonight. The idea is that. Amra Bustani parks the plane in Jordan, in Amman, Jordan, because she can't do the transaction because it's during the Muslim holy days. And there was about a three-day period there during which she was supposedly just hanging out in Jordan. But Bulos, he says he saw her in Lebanon during those days when she was supposedly just biding her time in, in Amman, Jordan. So he's saying, why is she in Lebanon? I'm going to get to the bottom of it. And I'm gonna be this like hard driving reporter and I'm gonna I'm gonna solve the mystery. Second, the plane she was riding, they call it the Dark Angel. Well guess what? I sketch a picture of the plane I saw. See that? It's a match. And he uses pictures and drawings. My favorite moment, I actually just burst out laughing, was when he said, and some evidence. Here's the dark angel plane. Here's my picture that I drew of it. <laughs> They're the same. And he would use these pictures that he would draw. Yeah, and Jamie Lerman and um, Kylie Rose Parrish, the art directors, they did such a good job with those little pictures that he supposedly made with crayons, you know, to... They look so childlike, and yet he's he's acting like he's like on Fox News or something. You know, he's like, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. What was she out here in Lebanon, flying all by herself? It just doesn't add up. So he goes around interviewing locals, and he finds people who claim they know exactly what she was doing during those days. You know, when she was supposedly just lying low and. Jordan. So yeah, he's got him a, a little YouTube channel and he's going to tell his version of the story. And you just watched an episode of The News Breakdown. So any words that you would leave us with? I mean, where does it leave you now? It's been a little while since you've completed it. You just completed the album, so you're still in it, Mm -hmm. in a sense. You know, the world is always changing, and it's of that time and of that place, but it's this mythical town that is every town and not any town I've ever seen. You picked us up as the poet taking us on this journey, where do you drop us off? Well, I would say this. Firebones is free. All you do is go to firebones.org. I would just say, if you're interested in the South, you're interested in Arkansas, you're interested in experimental storytelling, try to get to the end of chapter three before you make a a call on this. And if you do like it, um, tell other people about it because this is completely independent, you know, It's not a production company behind this or anything like that. You know, we just did this from scratch. And 
we would just like people to give it a whirl, you know, see if you see if you like it. Well, Greg, thank you so much. I can't remember how we died, who paid to get us in the night, old day, just ask me for a light, come play, we're born to Broadcast from the studios of KUAR in Little Rock, you've been listening to Arts and Letters. Thanks for joining us. To check out past episodes, go to artsandlettersradio.org. Thank you to the band Beekeeper Space Band, featuring Greg Brownerville and Spencer Kenny for the otherworldly musical compositions and soundscapes. Thank you to Bart Weiss for the interview. Thank you to Mary Ellen Cubitt for the story editing advice. Thank you to Christopher Hickey for helping to mix and for mastering the episode. Generous funding for Arts and Letters was provided by the Arkansas Humanities Council and the National Endowment for the Humanities. Thank you to poet and multimedia artist Greg Brownerville for pointing us toward the mythical Delta town of Thisaway, Arkansas and for populating its borders with a fascinating cast of characters. For Arts and Letters, I'm Jay Bradley Minnick. Let's heed the words of Sherwood Anderson. I wanted to run away from everything, but I wanted to run towards something, too. All I want to do is see behind this slowly closing eyelid Arts and Letters is a production of Living the Dream Media.